Today, I have an amazing guest and one of my dearest friends, Jessa Smith. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to finally record this episode. It took us forever to get set up and I'm so new in the business and I'm really, really excited and I can't wait to share with you the conversations that we've been having for years now in private and share all of the golden nuggets of wisdom that she shared with me. So go ahead and please introduce yourself. Tell me about you, um, some basic info and attributes and five things we should know that make you Jessa. Paint the scene for us. Okay. Hello. Hello. I am Jessa. Thank you so much for having me, Nina. Uh, we've been talking about this for a while and I'm glad we were finally able to work it out. Uh, things to know about me. I grew up in a small town in West Virginia. I'm the oldest child and I am a creative person who is also kind of perfectly balanced with a very analytical left brain. I like the rules type of thing. <laughs> I'm also very much an introvert. I have to reserve my energy and really plan for how much I'm going to interact with other people so that I'm at my best in order to spend that energy wisely and not just wear myself out. I am currently an analyst at an export trade association here in the DC area, which is uh, learned some some new things, <laughs> learned some new skills. But my degree is actually in theater, so you can see there's a big disconnect there. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just laughing about this because we met doing theater. Um, it was my first production in the DMV area, and I was so excited about it. And I met this very snarky, sarcastic, intelligent, has Loki the best side remarks I've ever heard that are whispered very politely <laughs> under her breath. <laughs> so it has to be like the perfect moment where you catch it in the, in that moment for it to even make sense. And I'm so blessed to have met you. And that's really, really cool about you growing up in a small town. And I want to hear more about that because that comes with so many complexities within itself. And I've learned so much just from being your friend. There are so many things about farm life that I didn't know beforehand. <laughs> I love that you mentioned what you do and the disconnect in between your career, which anyone who does theater or knows someone in theater knows that it isn't as simple as just going to school you audition a few times and you make it to Broadway. And the idea of success can look different for so many different people and everyone's wants and needs differ. So I love that you mentioned that because I know that a lot of listeners are going to be able to identify with that. And being okay with knowing that you're a creative person and you don't have to exactly fit the description of what someone else thinks that should look like. She also didn't mention she has an amazing YouTube channel with a friend and their channel I will tag in the show notes. It's Jess and Alex Watch and it's hilarious. It's reaction videos for shows, movies, and this is me humble bragging for her. Um, she, she refuses to shower herself out, but I will. Okay, now that I put you in the hot seat, here we are. Okay, now that we've learned a little bit about you, tell us more about what motivates you in general? And 
what have you been motivated by lately? We are literally just seeing the light of day out of this global pandemic, which if I hear the term global pandemic one more time, I may lose my crap. Well, the phrase that I'm personally ready to light on fire is now more than ever, because I cannot deal with now more than ever one more time. <laughs> I love <laughs> but um, what has kept you going? What drives you? You said you're very left-brained and analytical and an introvert. And some people would say that that's like the perfect amalgamation of a human to survive a pandemic. Oh, you like being alone. Fine. Good. But I would love, I'm stepping a little out of script, but I would love for you to be able to tackle that as well. So what motivates me? Well, I am uh, completely a person who is intrinsically motivated. I have never in my life been motivated by someone telling me I have to do something. It's not necessarily a 100% good trait. It's fine. I'm working on it. <laughs> but I do feel that being intrinsically motivated has really benefited me because uh it's easy to get very confused by the goals that other people will set for you in life. And I know there have been times in my life when I've been more easily blown about by the expectations that other people put on me. The reason I mentioned in my introduction that I'm an oldest child is because to me, that plays a lot into my personality. I think as an oldest child, specifically if you're an oldest daughter, there's a lot of expectations of taking responsibility for the family. A lot of times you feel like you have to be the model of good behavior. You have to be the one kind of holding things together, kind of managing the mood of the family. I end up being the person who has to do a lot of planning. So there's a lot of responsibility. And with that, you can very much be influenced by the expectations that others in your family have for you. There's a really strong sense that it is my responsibility to be that person. So I'm glad that I have such a strong inner sense of self because I don't think that I could have grown up to be an independent person without it. I think I would be so much more controlled by what my family needs from me without being able to be the person that I am on my own. How did I survive the pandemic? Uh, well, Nina, thank you for mentioning my YouTube channel. I, I, I actually do credit creating that channel as a big part of what got me through the last year. So I, I live alone with the exception of two cats. Uh, we may have had way more in-depth conversations, the three of us, than one should normally have with one's cats. But that was surviving 2020, folks. So my friend Alex and I started early on in the pandemic getting on Zoom together and watching movies. We put together this entire list of things that one of us had seen and we really wanted the other one to see, or just old favorites. We we're like, let's watch Clueless. Let's watch Little Women, things that we just wanted to watch together. So we got on Zoom together and we had the experience of being over at a friend's house, watching a movie. You know, you keep a running commentary, you make stupid jokes. And some point in the summer of 2020, we started talking about actually making a YouTube channel out of this, taking our strong opinions on movies and our jokes and our thoughts and how we could turn that into something for other people to enjoy. Alex is also an actor. She's in theater. So it was a good meeting of our interests and giving us something to do. So we launched in September by watching the Back to the Future trilogy, which Alex had never seen. Managing the channel, currently we're doing two videos a week. 
We have to find time to film together. We each take one video a week that we're editing. It takes a lot of time. And that has really been a saving grace over the last year that I've had a project to work on to put all of that energy that normally would be spent in the evenings going to restaurant, going to theater, spending time with friends. Now I've known that when I'm done sitting in my chair for work, I can remove my work computer and replace it with my personal computer and start editing. It's given me a purpose. Otherwise, I may have just spent the last year waking up, going to work, getting done and going to bed. What you just described to me is the essence of the creative process. Every time something creative is born is usually out of nothing. It's basically making lemonade out of the very scraggliest lemons you can find. And you essentially, and Alex, made the best lemonade possible. And that's usually how most entrepreneurs and creatives find their best work. It's usually something that they just try on a whim. Why don't we try this? And developing that into an awesome channel and outlet for your creativity and your expression. And I've seen all the hard work and all of the tools and editing skills and production skills that you and Alex have picked up along the way. And I think that's the beauty of it. You've taken nothing and made it into something. Just like you said, it's time that probably would have been wasted otherwise. And finding a way out of that and using art as a creative outlet, which is probably the reason half of the artistic people got into the arts. <laughs> um, it's usually a, a healing tool. It's, it's a way to express ourselves and to free ourselves from the constants around us. So I truly love that. And Jessa, let me preface by saying she's also an INTJ, which is like the most intellectual, logical, straight up facts type chick you're going to find. <laughs> and I can see it makes so much sense now because <laughs> things like you saying being intrinsically motivated, I've never seen anyone work as hard to start a channel that most people would say, the first question would be, okay, are you guys going to make a profit? That wasn't the goal here. Anyone who's graduated in theater understands that creating art, that's always a positive. That's always a cherry that can come on top of that Sunday. But it's usually not uh, what we start with in mind when we set out to create art. Now y'all got a little something, something going on. So that's your little cherry on the Sunday. But you sticking to it and knowing this is something I want to do. I'm going to do it. I don't care if you are interested or if you think this is what you want to see. There's tons of people who will watch my content. And I think your commitment and dedication has definitely benefited you so much. And I applaud you with your success. So now we're getting into the nitty gritty. Like we got to know you, okay? We got to know you. We want to know more. So keep it 100. What are some of your favorite things to do and not what you show social media, which I follow you on social media, so I know that that's pretty damn accurate. However, <laughs> what's the real you? Like you're, you're definitely not the kind to be fronting on the grams with your little Fendi purses and stacks of cash. However, I would say most people on social media alter their appearance. That could be physical appearance. That could be lifestyle. That could be relationships. That could be mental status. So 
keep it real. What do you enjoy doing? Like, what makes your soul happy? Uh, yes, I lie in social media, as everyone does. <laughs> it's very much, it, it is about presenting the type of face you want to present to the world. Some of that is just people from work follow me, so I can't talk about how much I hate X thing about my job, you know? especially since people have literally been fired for things that they say on social media. So there's a, a kind of code switching that you have to do there. Um, I'm not the person who uh, posts uh, pictures of herself in the string bikini posed in her backyard, pretending that she's like gone on a fantastic trip over the past weekend. Um, Honestly, like I applaud people who have that kind of production skill, like well done you. There's a lot of imagination in that. Congrats. I just don't really have that kind of grid. You can look at my Instagram. It's very consistent. It's a billion pictures of my cats. It's things I've baked. And occasionally there's people that appear. I, I occasionally have pictures of me with friends. <laughs> so what do I what do I Enjoy. I love baking. I really do. It's something that to me balances out both sides of my brain so well in that it is both a very left brain analytical following a rule thing. And it's also a right brain creative thing. I like to sit down. I love the simplicity and the perfect organization of a recipe. I like to take a bag of flour and it becomes a cup and a half of flour. And that goes into the bowl. I just, I really enjoy that kind of math sorting part of baking. It's very satisfying to me to take all the messy ingredients and combine them together into something that's one whole complete thing together. It's very satisfying. On the other side, it's the creative part of it. It's taking a, a recipe that is like, this is a basic spice cake and saying, what if I took this nice chai that I have and I strained that into the milk and then I got this cinnamon stick and I grated that and instead of doing the kind of buttercream icing that the recipe recommends, I could do a kind of a cream cheese thing and creating a whole cake. I want to let you know that cake was disgusting. It looked beautiful on Instagram. It is covered in cinnamon sticks. It's got a beautiful glaze running down it. It is stunning. After I took those pictures, I plucked everything off, made a new frosting, covered it up. It looked like a big, messy marshmallow, and then it tasted delicious. So there is your perfect example of Instagram versus real life. What was the question? <laughs> your social media is super honest. And I know you, and I think that's just part of your personality. If you don't feel the need to post it, you won't. And if it takes too much effort, it's not getting posted. I need to include, for the record, I tasted this cake. She gave it to me, and I thought it was good, and I thought it was an act of love. <laughs> so the truth comes out. But I love that you shared that one of your favorite things to do is baking because your girl likes sweets and I get all the leftovers. <laughs> so that is a fabulous. I really appreciate your honesty in both your social media, but you as a person, there's not really much negative space for any falsehood. I just feel like your personality type, you don't have the space to even come up with 
lies. Like, ain't nobody got time for that. I think in the experiences I've had with you, you will not put energy towards something that doesn't merit it. So if it's not even worth your energy to get worked up about it, I haven't really seen you expend energy on it. I may receive a text asking me if I want 30 cookies because you've... You baked 16 dozen of them out of anger and may need to get rid of them. However, I I love that you are honest with what you present. Jessa, so you previously explained that you are not motivated by external factors or anyone asking things of you. It is mostly intrinsic motivation. So if and when you set goals, how does that process work and how do you follow through with them and find life balance in making those decisions. Okay. Um, so here's a not too cute fact about me. Um, I'm actually extremely competitive and no one knows that they're in a competition with me. It's a huge part of my intrinsic motivation is being better than other people, but I don't like tell them like that's not important. The fact is for me to know. So <laughs> again, we're working on it. If I see someone else get praised for doing something, that's a real driver for me to be like, oh, no, that will not stand. I will be better at it than they are. And it doesn't matter. I don't tell them because that would be rude. They're just always in competition with me without knowing it. It takes me a long time between having a desire or or an impulse. I don't know that I would call it as formal as a goal. I really admire people who kind of write goals down, you know, uh, vision journals, that kind of thing. But that's just never been the way that I operate. I tend to hold everything in a a giant three-dimensional filing universe inside of my head. So I know where all of them are. I just never write them down. I get a desire, like with the YouTube channel, we started talking about that in probably the spring of 2020. We discussed a few ideas for different kinds of videos that we would like to do, but it all kind of just stayed in there. I'm like, we should do this. This is definitely going to happen. And then it kind of incubated for several months. It was always running in the back of my mind. I was always observing the way that other channels worked, what was working for them, what wasn't working, what kind of numbers they were getting. But none of this to the outside would look like any kind of formal work. It was all stuff that I had going on. And then what to a lot of people would appear as an impulse was I saw that Netflix was getting hold of the Back to the Future movies on September 1st. And I said, that's our start date. We need to have everything up on that date because that's going to bring back interest in those movies. Everyone's going to be talking about them. And that's going to make it a really good moment for us. So sometimes I judge myself and I think, why aren't you more regimented? Why aren't you more planned? Why did you let everything sit for all of that time? But when I'm being kind with myself and not harshly judging. I know that that is the way that my planning works. It takes me some time to process. And I'm not a person who does a lot of that processing out loud. To me, that muddies the waters. That makes me uh, unable to really focus on what's going to work and what isn't. I need to be able to gather all of that information quietly on my own without the pressure of, you have to make this happen. So having that incubation period where it didn't look from the outside like anything was going on is really important to me to make the final product. I've had times where I've been forced to do something on a stricter timeline, and it doesn't work as well for me. I can make it happen, but I really need people to give me that space for an incubation period. 
you kind of touched a little on life balance by saying to be kind with yourself when I'm kind with myself. And I love that. Can you expand on that a little bit more? I have to say, sometimes I feel lacking in grind culture, you know, rise and grind, the kind of particularly millennial feeling that you have to be working every single beat of your heart because I am not like that. Could I be in a different place in my life if I was? Probably. I mean, yes, realistically. It's just not a natural fit for me. I really don't struggle with not taking enough time for myself. I'm very sure of myself. And this is something that comes with age. I know that if I've reached a limit, I can shut a computer. I can walk away. I can ignore my phone. I've gotten to a place where when I've reached the point where I need rest, I need to play a stupid game. I need to stare at the wall. I need to watch 30 Rock for the 50th time. And other people, they'll be fine. They'll get their things when they need it. I absolutely love that you mentioned grind culture. I'm constantly fighting with myself and I find it almost like cyclical that that need to always rise and grind. We're going to do it. You know, <laughs> when I go in through like my military training instructor mindset and I'm like, we could conquer it all in our heads. It's in our heads. And then sometimes I'm like, I want to be a shit potato today. <laughs> And for the next three weeks, leave me alone to my hibernation. So I love that you mentioned that because it's just real. And the push for it on social media. I've seen so many memes that are like, the human body only requires six hours of sleep. That is, I can't do math, but like that is 18 hours that you have to be conquering the day and doing it up. And I'm like, but I need eight and a half hours. <laughs> and I think that comes, like you said, with age and knowing yourself and knowing that if you need to step away, I honestly am still working on that in my life. And I've recently had a job transition where I've realized you need to step away. And sometimes the people pleasing is actually going to bite you in the butt because you're going to want to rush to do something and the product is probably going to be, and by probably, I mean 100% going to be worse than if you would come back at it with a fresh set of eyes and a fresh mindset and perspective after a bit of rest. So I love that you included that. You and I can never take anything seriously, but I would like for you to get as real as possible with me. If you could tell your younger self one sentence to help guide them for the future, what would that look like? What would it be? If I could portal back in time and tell my younger self one thing, I'd really want to shoot for about 14 years old. And I would really like to tell that version, please, please ask your parents to take you to a therapist. I struggled so much when I was in junior high and high school with what I now understand was a pretty crippling anxiety disorder as well as major depressive disorder. And I went through it in the way that a lot of people do when you hit puberty and you first start having mental health issues. I did it without understanding at all what was going on. I didn't understand why I could wake up every morning and be determined, this is going to be a good day. I'm going to put on my school clothes, put on my makeup. I'm happy. I'm going to do good. And walk into the school and feel like a lead blanket had dropped onto me and spend the whole day 
feeling so heavy that it was hard to walk. It was hard to move, that I felt muted from the rest of the world. And like I could see everyone else and I wanted to talk and join in, but I was so heavy that I couldn't reach out to them. Now I know that was a major depressive episode, which manifested at a really usual time for adolescents, right? In freshman and high school, it's really, really common time for that kind of thing to manifest. I also think about me at youth camps and conferences and meetings, and I can see the version of me that was so anxious that sometimes I would literally stand back in a corner and press my body against the wall so I could feel the security of the walls pressing in against me because my heart was so aching and beating so fast. I know now that was an anxiety disorder. I needed some management for that, even if it was just having a name to put to it, because I think having a name to put to what you're going through is a huge help. I wish that that girl could have had management, could have had treatment, could have known what she was going through and been given the tools to say, this is something that a lot of people go through. There is nothing wrong with you and the way that you feel so incredibly visible, like everyone is looking at you every single second. That's not true. That's just the way you feel because there are some things in your brain and your body that have gotten out of balance, which is a normal thing that happens to a lot of people. Let's work on that. That would have been the most beneficial thing that could have happened for me as a teen. Thank you so much for your openness and for your willingness to share, because I know that it's so vulnerable for so many people. And the fact that you've had the bravery to speak about that to a world of possibilities of listeners and people that may be able to relate with that is amazing. And I commend you for your strength and honesty and being so willing to share that with others is the most beautiful thing. And it's just the interconnectivity between people, which is where I know I'm going to lose you because I get a little hippy dippy all the time. But it truly to me means the world because I know that there's someone who's going to hear this that is going to take the advice that you would give. And although it may not have come to you at what is, you know, deemed by society the right time or what we often speak to each other about potential life timelines. And that may not look like the Jessa life timeline where you get therapy when you're 14 and figure it all out. But I think you have brought everything full circle by being able to leave that information for someone else or for a parent who is seeing that in their teen or for a sibling who sees that in their brother or sister or an aunt or uncle or family member or friend. There's no problem with realizing that mental health is a very real thing. And the longer we stigmatize it, the worse outcome, the worse the outcome is going to be. People aren't going to get the help they need and live the fruitful lives that they so can. And I think therapy should be like mandatory. I think everyone should at least go just like one, like just test it out. Like do like one or two or three or like a week or a month, you know, or a year. Like let's all figure it out together. 
So it doesn't really come natural in our society to speak openly about mental health. It is something that is still very stigmatized for all that I think we are trying to be better at it. I had to learn that, and I truly can thank one person for that. I think Carrie Fisher, just post-college, I was struggling like a lot of people did when they graduated college at that time, and they realized that there were no jobs, and so they were working at a bookstore with massive debt. And I was right by the memoir biography section. And I picked up Carrie Fisher's Wishful Drinking. She talks in that piece so openly about what it is like to have bipolar disorder. She's not ashamed of it. She talks about it very clearly. This is what it feels like. This is what it was. This is how it made me act. This is what it looked like when I was down. This is what it looked like when I was up. And she did it all without acting like she needed to hide it. She wasn't talking around it. She didn't use cutesy language. She just laid it out. In between hilarious anecdotes about how incestuous Hollywood is because they have all dated and married each other, she's just saying, I was really manic that day and that made me act out in this way and I knew that my medication needed adjustment. It showed me that I don't have to hide what I've dealt with, that it's okay to just say it, to just say, this is something that I have. I have a mental disorder, just like someone would say, I have cancer, or I have a weak heart that I get treatment for, to just clearly and openly say, I have this mental disorder. Some days you may see me and I'm not at my best. And it really meant a lot to me. And ever since reading that, I've really been very deliberate about just speaking very clearly and openly about my mental health struggles, because I think it's really important because I don't think that we can clear the way for people in the future to seek the treatment that they need. If we continue to pussyfoot around it the way that there's a lot of pressure for us to do and to pretend that we're not dealing with things, we can't expect that the future for our children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, etc. is going to be any better than it is for us if we don't make the change. And part of that change is just saying, I struggle with major depressive disorder. I will have a depressive episode usually about once a year. I struggle with anxiety. I have to take some medication for that. And that is just part of my life. And that is not a value judgment on me in any way. Thank you so much for those candid words. I will link Carrie Fisher's biography in the show notes so that you'll be able to give that a read yourself if that's something that interests you. And I've learned so much about mental illness and mental disorders and just mental health over the past maybe three years or so, I also struggle with anxiety and it sucks. And in a previous episode, I was speaking with a therapist and she expressed that first and foremost, she's human too. And that I think relates directly to what you were saying. There was no pussyfooting around it. It was plain as day. This, this, this. This is what's happening to me. This is why. And this is what it feels like. And this is what I do to manage it. And like when you have a, a cold, if you ask even a, a five-year-old, what are some of the things you do when you have a cold? Get rest, drink some water, maybe drink some tea. And if you do medicine, take some medicine. You know, just common common knowledge isn't applied to all aspects of health. And I think the moment we start to do that in society, a lot of things will change and a lot of opportunities will open up for people to grow and unlearn a lot of things that are harming them and teach themselves that my life doesn't have to be chaotic. I will quote my sister 
She said, once I realize that the dragon is there, if I become friends with the dragon, it's no longer going to be shooting fire at me. You can face it or you can battle it. And living life in a constant battle, no one deserves to live like that. So it is perfectly okay. And I will link some resources where to find someone to talk to and some other websites that are available to you to start your mental health journey if that applies to you. I love what your sister said about the dragon. That reminds me a lot of the movie The Babadook. So The Babadook... This woman got into a car crash and her husband died on the way to the hospital. So her child's like 10 for the whole span of her child's life. His existence has been so tied up in her mind and in her emotions with the death of her husband. And the kid is difficult. He's a lot. He's kind of terrible. The Babadook is actually this character from this creepy children's book the kid finds. But it's all tied into her emotions, her grief. I read it as depression. Other people just talk about grief. And so it's a spooky monster. It spends the whole movie haunting her. She gets intense insomnia. She has to fight it. And you kind of think at the beginning of the movie, like the kid is the bad one. But it turns out like she's the monster and she gets very scary. And then the mother and son are able to come together and they beat back the Babadook. The thing is, the Babadook isn't gone. The closing thing we see in the movie is her going down into her basement and leaving a plate of food, and then going back up and locking the door. And that left the biggest impression to me, because to me it was like, yes. She said it with the dragon, and it takes, oh, my balance just went. Just, uh, I won't give you the full backstory, but, you know, if you know, you know. Um, There's a scary monster, which is a metaphor, basically, for the main character's kind of grief and depression. And she and her young son are able to defeat the monster at the end, and things are good. The last image of the movie is she fixes a little plate of food and she opens the door to her basement and she goes down and she leaves a plate of food for what we know is the Babadook still down there and then goes up and locks the door behind her. And that left the biggest impression on me because that's what it is when you have depression, when you have a mental disorder. It's never gone. It's always there and you have to manage it. So for her, that that means she has to feed it. She has to acknowledge that it's there. If she ignores it, it comes back. And so that's, to me, is the real takeaway, is that these things are never gone. We have to manage them or they get out of control. And they, well, I won't spoil the movie for you if you haven't seen it. Yes, I love that connection. And our previous guest, Andrea, also mentioned that she does this really cool thing where she pretends that she's at the bottom of a pool and she sits with those emotions. And even if it's not necessarily linked to a mental disorder, everyone experiences the full spectrum of emotions. And acknowledging that and acknowledging that every emotion has its own purpose and its own reason for being there. And she said something very beautiful that sometimes anger, for example, will give you the energy to confront something that you normally wouldn't have the strength to confront had you not been heated and ready to go, (laughs) you know? And I think that's a beautiful acknowledgement. And in society, sometimes we're often quieted and not allowed to express the full spectrum of emotion. And especially with anxiety, putting a name to those feelings and understanding, oh, my body is out of balance right now. So it's not seeing this, this situation like it actually is. It's looking at this through the eyes of 
it's looking at the situation through the eyes of the feeling instead of what is actually happening. So being able to name those feelings, super important, living with them, learning to live with them, learning our triggers and what causes that and setting boundaries in life is so, so, so very important. And I'm not touting this like I practice it perfectly. It is something I practice, which is an active verb. It, it's a constant and I'm constantly working to better myself. Doesn't mean it's a perfect situation every time and that I have the perfect quote unquote outcome every time, but the goal is to make it an act, something you're actively working on and trying to balance. Jessa, you told us in your introduction that you are from a small town. How has that impacted you? How has that added to the recipe that is Jessa? How has that influenced you? And you definitely said fix you a plate within this interview. So um, I know it's had an impact on you. <laughs> and I would love to hear a little bit more about that. Please share with the audience your experience. So I think I have a story that's pretty similar to a lot of people that grow up in a small town in that I was pretty desperate to get out. It takes a specific kind of personality to be able to flourish in a small town and I don't have that. I've always been kind of impatient and easily frustrated, and I like to have a lot of options. So it created in me a lot of drive to escape. <laughs> it created in me a lot of drive to move on to bigger and better things. And it probably gave me a really grounded foundation and an understanding of the importance of small community. But at the same time, it also helped me see what I don't want. I don't like things to stay too much the same. And I don't like if everyone around me looks exactly like me and if we all have the exact same background. Uh, I really thrive on people who are different than me, people who have fundamentals that are the same, of course. It's really important to me that I share the same values as the people that I'm around. But I like different backgrounds. I like to learn. Like, tell me, tell me about what happens when you fix a plate at your family reunions. What does that look like? You know, I want to know that. I, I, I like the variety. I think it's very exciting. And I always want to learn. And a lot of people who are in a small town or grew up in there probably know the way that sometimes it, you feel like you have learned everything there is to learn within that community. Of course, people are still people and there's still variety and they can still surprise you. I would say that I'm very grateful for the way that I've learned to be self-sufficient. For example, I never grew up with a super who could just come up and fix something if a pipe broke. That's completely foreign to me. The idea of having a person who specialized for every single job that I might need around my house that's just not the way I grew up. There weren't a whole lot of resources around. So you just, you learn to do things. My landlord has been very impressed with me because I keep fixing the toilet because there's something wrong with the flipper. And I just keep buying new ones at the hardware store or like I shut off the main water supply. And he is very impressed with my skills. Yeah, that's just a skill I learned from growing up in a farmhouse. Like things go wrong when you have old pipes. <laughs> you you got to know how to do basics. I mean, I'm not like a plumber or anything, but I can keep a toilet from overflowing. I would say I more specifically learned a lot from growing up in a, a really old drafty farmhouse than specifically in a small town. I'm hard to fluster. I've been chased by a bat through my own house. I've definitely had winter nights 
where I've put on like 10 layers of clothes and every blanket that I have on top of me and still woken up like freezing cold with my bedside glass of water at solid ice. Not much shakes me. I've been through a lot. <laughs> I'll be fine. One thing that growing up in a small town didn't teach me was how to keep a house plan alive. I just want you to look over in the corner of my living room right now and look at the two tragic pots that are sitting there. I just don't understand. How did I miss this skill? I killed an aloe plant. How do you kill an aloe plant? It's a it's a friggin' succulent. It's not killable. And yet it just died. Just fainted over and died. And it just hated me. And 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 why? Sometimes I feel very bad about this lack of a skill set that I have. And thank the Lord that you are not easily flustered because, girl, you would have been run away from me. Anywho, um, I love that. And I've definitely used you as a human Wikipedia and asked you all of the hows and the how-tos. And to this day, we've been friends for how long now? Four, four years? And to this day, we'll be in the middle of a conversation and she'll just casually slide like some random factoid about horse maintenance. And I'm like, how the hell do you know this? And she's like, yeah, I worked at a stable for almost two years. And I'm like, what? Like, how have I known you this long? But it's 2021. So let's be realistic. It doesn't matter what your gender is or sexual preference or orientation or whatever your pronoun is or, you know, how you present yourself to the world. We are all capable of being self-sufficient. And it is one of the things that irks me. Like, why did they take away home economics? Because like half the population can't tell time, my friends. Like they can't tell time. We don't know what checks are. Um, this is a, this is a very, very sad thing for me to say. However, I didn't know, this is terrible. I didn't know how to mail packages because I'd never done it ever till about three years ago. No, like I just never used mail like that. I, I don't know. The, the lady across the counter looked at me like I had 82 heads because I didn't understand that like I printed a shipping label and I'm like but it has the address and she's like no you still have to write it manually and I was like okay so I wrote it manually incorrectly and she looked at me like even God can't fix stupid <laughs> and I, I was very embarrassed to say the least but it's these simple skills that we're losing day by day and I'm like yeah technology has so much to offer but like, I still don't know how to do many things that I would love to that are just basic necessities. But I digress. Jessa, it has been an immense, immense pleasure of mine to have you on my podcast. I think I've been talking about doing this. I, I relate to you with the planning in your head for a very long time before it actually comes into fruition because I have been planning this for so many years. Lord knows the struggles um, that I've had to overcome both internally and externally because um, I'm a perfectionist. It's We're working on it. Not my, not my greatest trait, you know what I'm saying? But I've worked so hard for this and I know you've seen the whole process and I, I wanted you to be one of the first guests on this show because I know that so many people are going to relate to you and We'll see the amazing friend that I have found in this world. Let us close off now with my final question for you. From all of the things you've learned along the way on this journey through life, 
please leave us with a breadcrumb for the trail, for your future self and anyone listening. What is a way one can use to find their way back home when and if they feel lost? Here's my breadcrumb. First of all, I just want to say, have a sense of proportion. Whatever moment you're in, it feels like the only moment in your whole life. It covers your entire vision and it's all you can see. And it feels like whatever moment you're in will last forever. When my aloe plant died, I felt like that was the end of my ambitions to grow things. But you know what? I went out on Mother's Day with my mom and I bought three little plants. Did they die? Yes. But I keep chucking on. I'm going to just have a sense of proportion. Because you know what? I've kept my cats alive. Okay? Let's celebrate that. This is good. I have felt so many times in my life like whatever is going on with me defines me. When I went to a friend's party and they all talked about their shared experiences of mothering and I just sat there, that sucked for me. I felt really crap about myself, but that does not define me. Those are not the only relationships that I have, and that's not the only time that I've ever been out with a group of people. There's a sense of proportion. I could allow that to blow up and fill my view, and I could torture myself for a month about that. Or I can remember that I have other really great friends, and we have lots that we can talk about And I know I'm not that anxious kid that I was in junior high. I know I'm not boring or weird. We just didn't have the same life experiences to talk about. That's my crumb of wisdom for you. Have a sense of proportion. Know that whatever moment you're in right now does not define you. It is not your whole life. You are so much more than your worst moment. A beautiful conclusion to this amazing conversation. This too shall pass. And my sister Christine, I'm quoting here, one day at a time. Obviously, other people have said that, but she rings in my head almost daily with that simple refrain and reminder. We are not, and I repeat, no matter what is going on, you are not your worst moment, and everyone is entitled to redeem themselves, always and forever, and the opportunities are limitless. Thank you so very much for listening. Thank you so much, Jessa, for joining me. Remember, all is well in the world if you keep it balanced in your heart body and mind peace love and light to you all thank you much for listening if you enjoyed today's episode be sure to leave us a review and subscribe for more episodes like these